to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, if you could be any ice cream flavor, what would you be? <laughs> this is such a hard question. Because uh, it's different from what is my favorite. It's like, what would I be, right? I know, I know. And my mind goes straight to like what I love most about what is grown where I grew up. And that's like blackberries and peaches. Oh, so you'd be something very local, homegrown. Yeah. I know. I don't know what that says about my personality, but it just, that's kind of where my brain goes. I feel like you're such an interesting, like dynamic, creative personality that maybe you'd have some spices mixed Ooh. in with those fruits. Like I feel like something Portuguese, like a like cinnamon. S- cinnamon, you know, tossed yeah. in there. I don't know. You got to have something like a nod to the Portuguese. If it's literally yeah. you embodied in ice cream. Well, not literally. That's gross. But (laughs) (laughs) I also love um, because of all the citrus, like this time of year is like mandarin and citrus blossoms are just going and that that scent and that flavor is something I love. So maybe adding in some orange blossom water would make me very happy. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Okay. You're helping me actually. I'm honing my answer as you answer. Cause I was thinking definitely something nutty because I feel like anybody who knows me, I mean, you could probably tell from the podcast, but definitely my personal life, they'd be like, Oh, she's wacky. She's, she's pretty, pretty <laughs> nutty. So I was like, it has to have nuts in there. And now I'm thinking like, keep it local and do like some Georgia pecans would be really yes. nice. Yeah. And I do really like butter pecan ice cream. Definitely. I would be like a vanilla base. Cause I'm very pale. It would, it wouldn't make <laughs> sense like to have something too dark, just I'm fair skinned. And, uh, yeah. So then that with pecans and then I don't know. I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe I just wish this was the case, but I would love to have something kind of mysterious. Like I love when I taste something and I'm like, what, is that exactly like I would like something that makes people think a little bit kind of like, you know, surprising, but confusing. That's me surprising, confusing and a little bit nutty. So that's what I'd be. What's your favorite flavor? Cause that's a different question. Gosh, you know, when I was a child, I loved rainbow sherbet and I, I don't even know what that is. I haven't had that so long, but I would think when I was really little, I was obsessed with rainbows anyway. Um, (laughs) <laughs> me too still oh, yes. I, when you were little i'm still obsessed that's true that's Rainbows true no. for life man pretty pretty special these days what i mean i definitely go for something fruit fruit flavored fruit forward um i just yeah i don't know but it's gotta be it's, i'm not a strawberry i'm not i'm not the typical flavor guy i like to go what i want to know what they're doing that's a bit unique something over the top something unusual that's what i go for and but using the fruit department in san francisco we have um not we it's not mine there is an <laughs> ice cream shop called by right which is super famous and what i love that they do is they will pour on amazing california olive oil on top of your ice cream big chunks of sea salt so that on top of like a fresh peach ice cream 
with like maybe some chocolate as well. Like, you know, the bitter notes, the grassy notes, the salts, the fruit. That's where I'm pretty happy. Okay. What about you? Sounds amazing. I have a lot of favorites. Like, I don't know if I could answer one. Um, if I'm getting Ben and Jerry's, it's always cherry Garcia. That stuff is good. It's chocolate. It's cherry. I go for chocolate and cherry a lot. So that's, that's probably up there, but then I love like chocolate chip cookie dough a whole lot. That's really good. I I could just say like, I like any vanilla based ice cream with lots of add-ins. Like I'm all about the goodies. So Um, is that too broad of an answer? Do no. I have to be more specific? Okay, good. No, that makes, that reminds me that my favorite Ben and Jerry's is fish food, which is so the opposite of what I just talked about. Like <laughs> all the add-ins, the crunchy chocolate, caramel, marshmallow. Uh, we could literally talk about ice cream all day. Do you make ice cream at home? So, I mean, we touched on it briefly in the podcast last year, I think, where I just bought an ice cream maker That's right? and I've been a bit naughty, um, you know, I've made a few batches and I plan this summer to do some more in this summer. I've really kind of pared down my schedule. So I'm hoping that that's actually realistic and it's going to happen, but I haven't made a ton. No, 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 no. I don't think as much as you, if what I remember is right, you've made it quite a bit. I used to make it quite often. You know, I went through a phase where I got the attachment for the kitchen aid, which is really convenient and it's not hard to store. Um, and I did. I went through some, a lot of Johnny Uzzini recipes and some of the Ben and Jerry recipes. But then my freezer just kind of got taken over with like stuff for baking, to be honest. And then for me, if I'm going to indulge, I'm going for the baked goods over ice cream. That's just mm. my personality. So what was a really fun creative outlet kind of shifted to more bake, focusing on baking. But I'm feeling like now that summer is approaching... I think I need to get that ice cream maker back out. The summer of ice cream sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. Yeah. So our next guest is, well, she's an ice cream expert. She is like the ice cream expert. She's the first person you and I both thought of when we knew we wanted to do an ice cream episode. The first time I ever had, so it's, it's Jenny Britton Bauer, you guys. I mean, it's a big deal. Big deal. Huge deal. Big deal. The first time I ever had her ice cream is a really fond memory for me. My best friend sent me, I think it was six pints of it right after I had my daughter, Gemma. It was kind of like my welcome to motherhood present. And so it's very sentimental for me. But beyond that, it's just fabulous ice cream. It's top notch, top quality. And we're so excited to talk to Jenny today on Flower Hour. Jenny has been making ice cream for over two decades. She's a James Beard award-winning author. She has two cookbooks. And she was recognized by Fast Company as one of the most creative people in business. All right. Welcome to Flower Hour, Jenny. We are so excited to talk to you about all things ice cream. Hi there. So fun to be with you guys. Welcome. We're so excited. Our listeners are are excited too. We had a huge response. So we have a lot of questions of our own and then a lot of questions from our listeners as well. Oh my gosh. How fun. I love that 
we get to talk about ice cream and, you know, try to try to also kind of incorporate baking a little bit into that because believe it or not, when you want to be a good ice cream maker, you have to be okay at baking or you end up becoming that way anyway, too. And for, it's so true. And our first fan at M-E-R-V-I-N-R-A-Y has no question, but they live in Ohio and they just want you to know that they're a big fan. Oh, yay. Well, you know, <laughs> Ohioans also live everywhere which is really funny about Ohio. There are actually, I think, way more Ohioans even outside of Ohio. So it's always great to, um, to, 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 you know, to link up with people in Ohio. But it's really amazing, and I think most people will be surprised to know how many Ohioans just live everywhere. So I'm traveling constantly, and I'm always able to find the Ohioans. There are just countless of them everywhere, which is super cool. It's the thing, we're just all really united by our state. I love Super that state cute. pride. That's awesome. I I am from Georgia and I feel like we have state pride there, but I haven't experienced such a state love until moving to California. And there's definitely like a really intense state pride here too. And it's super fun to experience. So maybe similar to Ohio. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's such a, such a cool thing. And I feel like it's responsible for so much of my success as a business person all over America. Way cool. Okay. Well, we've got to dive into ice cream because we have about a million and one questions and it only makes sense to start at the beginning. I've heard you talk about it before, but I would love for our listeners to hear about the first time you experimented with ice cream. And, uh, it's just, I don't know. It feels like falling in love. It sounded so romantic and wonderful that I just, I want to hear it again. Yeah, well, it's funny because so I am gonna. Well, I'm 45 now. I'll be 46 this year, and I when I started making ice cream, I was 21. So it's like I almost can't remember before that. Before that was my childhood. You know what I mean? And it's so interesting to me because I remember when I was, um, you know, when I'd been making ice cream for like three years. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until I can say I've been doing this for five years, you know, then I'll be, I'll feel a little more like an expert. And I remember thinking like, I can't wait. Once I, once five years happened, I was like, well, you know, it's pretty much going on 10 now. And, and now I'm at like, you know, 23 or 24 years. And like, it's amazing to me on, on one hand, it feels like my entire life. On the other hand, it sort of feels like it's all gone so fast. And, uh, and I still have so much more to learn. Uh, but yeah, but I started when I was 21, I was studying art. And fine arts and art, art history at Ohio State University. My grandmother was an artist. I grew up uh, with a grandmother art teacher. She taught high school art. And, um, and I was working at a French bakery. And it was a family-owned, from-scratch bakery. And I loved every second of being there. I worked there in high school. I worked there in college. I worked there full-time, even in, while I was in school. I, just, I loved it so much. Um, and so I was doing those things. I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I would have... I thought I was going to have a bakery. Um, I thought I was going to take these French techniques, uh, which is to sort of make things a little bit less sweet with more real ingredients. I mean, these family would grow ingredients in their yard. I mean, raspberries, they would bring in their own raspberries and make tarts out of them. And it's gorgeous. And so I thought I was going to do an American style bakery, but using French techniques. And so that was kind of where I was heading. And I was actually doing art in art school. I was doing, um, paintings and drawings and these are actually of like what I was trying to do maybe for a business one day. And then I found, um, scent. I actually had, I found this love of scent. Um, and I had a friend who 
worked at the chemistry department at Ohio State, he started bringing me little vials of various chemicals that had sent. And, um, and I, and he is French and I was working at the French bakery and I was very, I don't know, excited about French culture and going to France one day. And I decided I was going to become a perfumer, which is like a total zag for me, um, away from art and pastry. I decided I was going to go to Grasse, France, which is the sort of capital of perfuming in the world and rose petals and jasmine and all sorts of stuff that grows there. And like all of the perfumers are there. And I just thought I was going to figure out how to become a perfumer. I was going to go there and like learn about it. And um, anyway, so I started really had this hobby of perfuming. I, there's no way I could afford to go to Grasse, France or any of that. So it was just a dream. Um, and what in the me- kind of middle of all of this, I decided to make a scented ice cream using this very expensive rose petal um, essential oil. It was a very high quality steam distilled rose petal from Bulgaria. It's like 50,000 rose petals to make one ounce. And I mixed that into some vanilla ice cream. And when I tasted it, like I just understood the power of ice cream um, because I had been working on perfume. I'd been thinking about that, actually even thinking about using scent to do art. And, um, and I knew that, that butterfat and cream could be the perfect carrier of scent, or was really the perfect carrier of scent. It melted below body temperature and absorbed scent. And so anyway, in that second, I just was like, oh, my God, it's ice cream. Like, I have to do this ice cream. And from then on, I really couldn't focus on anything else in my life. I was so excited to just learn everything I could about ice cream, about how it melts and when it melts and all of that, and so that I could load it up with scent, including things like vanilla, coffee, chocolate, peppermint, um, and sort of almost use it to tell stories like I was doing with art. So I just borrowed everything I knew from the culinary kitchen, uh, how to make creme brulee. That was my first ice cream recipe. I just turned it into ice cream instead of baking it. And I was off and running. By the time I was 22, so just a few months later, I opened my first ice cream business. It was called Scream. And I was in a farmer's market. And then, and then I started learning everything. <laughs> wow. Such an That's amazing story. story. That's a long I life. love it. I love it. And I love that you saw it as a medium for expression and telling stories, clearly an enjoyable dessert, but so much more than just a delicious sweet. It's really special. Yeah. I knew that, that we could use ice cream to tell stories that weren't just junk food. I mean, I love those ice creams as well. Um, but, but I knew that we could tell, um, stories of people in place. And once I got into the farmer's market, then I just started talking about the people who were growing the things for us. So the farmers or, if I would get a fair trade chocolate or, you know, whatever it was that was coming through, I could tell the stories of just their lives and what they, who they are. And I realized that ice cream connects people. Even that's the only reason we all go to an ice cream shop is to connect with someone else. And I realized I could do that even over the counter through connecting people with our farmers and the people that we were working with and collaborations that we were doing in our community with chefs and brewers and all of that. So this became this whole community, which is exactly how we still do it. Wow. I was watching your tasting video with on Epicurious and, so, so a couple of things struck me first is that, you know, you're combining these different art forms or, and you have a background in art and then the perfume and then food. And um, Amanda and I both kind of have, we come from different backgrounds as well and they led us to food. And I think we approach food from, you know, of course our history, but I'm a musician, I'm a flute player. And when I saw you breathing in the ice cream and taking the sense, it reminded me so much of the breathe. I mean, I've been thinking about breathing my whole life and how to use the breath. And it just, it really struck me how you were using breathing to understand the food and the ice cream. And I was like, that just makes me think of music. And I don't know. It was just really cool. I don't, that might not make any sense, but it just, (laughs) 
this all is just like kind of swirling for me and I, and I love it. I love it. It's so, I mean, it very much is connected to music in so many ways. I mean, we talk about notes and flavor notes all the time. Yeah. And, top, middle, and bass notes and how they yes. work together. And, you know, I don't actually know anything about music. I don't play any instrument. I love music, but um, I'm not, I don't play anything. Or I, so I have no real background in music, but I definitely have, um, see the resemblance in music. I mean, and then when you yeah. talk about breathing, I mean, it absolutely is about breathing because you're trying to sort of, you go through this almost journey with the notes as they come out. Um, yes. And it all is about air and, um, and how it sort of floods the air and, and, and when. So it's a, I don't, I, I struggle because I don't want to make ice cream out to be like this just really right. intense, so, like super intellectual thing. It's just so amazing. And it's almost like music in that way too. Just sit back and listen to it. It's just beautiful. You don't have to know anything else, you know? And it's sort of like that with ice yes. cream, like, let me be the ice cream nerd. But, um, but it really is so much more than I think what most people think. It's just like anything, you know, a lot of yeah. work goes into the M back end. When I teach a baking class, I, I always say, listen, I'm going to throw so much technical stuff at you because if you're ready for it, I want you to have it. But if you're not, don't just let it go over your head. Just let just enjoy where you're at. And then when you're ready, that, you, that information will find you. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, it's fun to be a nerd. It's super fun. It's, you oh, know, I love it. I mean, I like I'm I, I, you know, a huge Trekkie. I love Lord of the Rings. I'm like thinking about and I think about ice the same way. I actually think about building my company the same way. Just just people and story and fun and like all that stuff. But you know, when you do it for a long time, you can get pretty deep. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't had your splendid ice cream, can you describe it for them? Yes. Well, um, our ice creams are a little different. We, um, we start with raw milk. We take it apart, put it back together. And so what we're able to do, because we do it like that versus the other way, which is to start with an ice cream base or an ice cream mix and mix in flavors, um, which is what most of you, you can buy an ice cream base from dairies and it usually has um, uh, various sugars, corn syrup, um, lots of stabilizers, lots of emulsifiers, which there's nothing wrong with those ingredients. I just didn't, I wanted more freedom in how we were putting things together. Um, so we start with just raw milk from, from very good, you know, family farms, a lot of them grass pastured. Um, and then, and they're all Ohio. Um, and, and then we take it apart and put it back together. So we can actually like work with the milk proteins because we only pasteurize once. Um, and so the milk proteins are actually the, 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 one of the most important ways that we build texture in our ice cream and, and, and body. And then also how we homogenize. So it's a, quite an interesting process that took me a long time to figure out and learn and a lot of working at the dairy, but it's part of that sort of, that's part of my fun. I get to do that. But because we do it like that, we can actually bring flavor forward in a way that other ice cream makers can't. And so like, for instance, when you add chocolate to an ice cream, it dries out the ice cream. We usually, we, we use cocoa powder because you can get the more, a more pure chocolate um, flavor and scent by using that, believe it or not, an ice cream, because you have so much fat from the cream, you don't need it from the cocoa butter. Uh, in chocolate. But um, when you add that to ice cream, you dry it out completely. And so being able to adjust the recipe as needed, which is something that we can do, um, is important. Uh, the same is true with strawberries. If you add a lot of strawberries, you want to make a real, you know, strawberry ice cream with real strawberries or peaches or any of those fruits. Um, and it's probably similar in baking. You, you're adding a lot of water to your, to your ice cream, and that turns into ice crystals, and it sort of makes your ice cream thinner. And so being able to make those adjustments so we can actually use more strawberries or more peaches or more of what we um, are working with um, to get more of the flavor is what we do. And that's what we do really well. And it's just different than um, 
than a lot of the way that other ice creams are made um, in, in the country. Of course, also, we're working directly with makers and growers. We have a fifth-generation peach farmer in Georgia. We have um, growers in Ohio we've been working with for decades now um, who grow us berries, lots of different berries, sweet potatoes, pumpkins, sweet corn, all sorts of really cool stuff. And then we work with international um, growers as well. We like to be within a couple of degrees of separation, if not direct trade. Um, we like to know exactly where your money goes. When you buy a cone from us, we want to know where we're putting it exactly, not to, you know, give it to a big corporation or whatever, whenever possible. We really want to go and give money directly to people, human beings. And that's part of that sort of fellowship community thing that we do here. So that's like, uh, you know, it's nothing we do is like uncomplicated, but it's all in service to community and um, deliciousness, I feel like. It's so amazing the process that <clears throat> is gone through to produce this really lovely scoop. And then as the consumer, for me, I get to just go have this scoop and go, wow, the strawberries are really, really strong in this ice cream. And I love it. It's and that's one thing I'm glad you mentioned about how well you guys do flavors for anybody listening who hasn't had Jenny's to me, the standout is the powerful punch of flavor and not in an overpowering, you know, terrible way, but just fresh. Like you really, if you get something I had the other day, the goat cheese and I think it's Rose called goat cherries. cheese and red cherries. Yeah. Yeah. Ice cream. And the cherries were just so powerful and fresh. Like it, it was like the ice cream I would like to make at home because it was so fresh and lovely, but way better than I could do myself. It's just, the well, flavors like, really, really come through. That flavor is, um, it, the goat cheese actually made for us by a company called Mackenzie Creamer. It's just, it's a woman, her son, uh, up by Cleveland. And we get the goat cheese so fresh that it doesn't, that it's just like, it doesn't have that, I don't know, it just has a super, super fresh flavor. So it almost tastes like an ethereal, beautiful, very light cheesecake. And then um, the ice cream, once we add it to the cow's milk and cream. Um, and then those cherries are interesting because I love dried red cherries. Um, they're actually very intense because they're dried and we pump, pump them up with sugar and water. Um, but I also love the freshness of a fresh red cherry. So we make a sauce using both of them. So you get this poppy, almost like, um, um, I don't know, sort of dried cherry flavor, which is really red cherry. And then you get this almost grassy light uh, flavor from the fresh red cherries, not black cherries. Anyway, I love that sauce in there too, but it's again, like, it's like, we're, we're putting a lot, we put a lot of, there's nothing in there that we didn't choose to be there, you know, for a very specific reason. So conscious and specific. Yeah. I love it. So we talked about getting nerdy and just to get like a little bit more nerdy, we both watched that video, Jeremiah and I, of your Epicurious tasting. And I liked the way you described how you taste ice cream using flavor, texture, body finish. Can you Kind of just go over that quickly for our listeners. I, I like that kind of tasting perspective for people who do want to get very specific. Yes. So you can evaluate all ice creams this way. In fact, all food really this way. And um, as ice cream makers and also in the universities around the country and around the globe who study ice cream, and there are, Ohio State is one of them actually. And of course, you may have heard of Penn State and their famous ice cream course. There's Cornell. There's some, and there's many around the, the world. They also use flavor, texture, body, and finish, and a few other ones, too, that are less important, I think, when you're just enjoying ice cream. Um, so flavor is easy. Flavor and finish are actually kind of easy. Flavor is, you know, what you experience on your tongue and what's in your nose. So it's um, when you're eating it. So strawberries, you're going to get sweet and tart on your tongue, and then you're going to get the scent of strawberry in your nose. You can only taste five things on your tongue 
sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and then everything else is sort of a scent. And so what you're getting when you, when you blend those two things is, is the flavor. And, those are, and that's pretty easy to get a good flavor. If you start with good ingredients, it's going to taste good. Um, finish is kind of like after a couple minutes, what are you left with? So what are the lingering uh, flavor? And sometimes that can be negative. And, um, and so you don't want that. Um, because certain things can leave an aftertaste. You kind of want to leave with a, the flavor of fresh cream or the flavor of um, of that sort of the, the deeper elements. Of, when you have like a chocolate, you can have like top, or, top notes or base notes in those chocolates. You kind of like the finish is like, what's the last note that's still there of that rich chocolate ice cream? Um, and again, that's a pretty easy one to achieve um, uh, um, in ice cream making or any food, really. If you start with really great ingredients, it's going to taste like that. And it's gonna, the finish is going to be of those ingredients. Texture and body are the harder ones. Because um, if you start with really great strawberries, you can still create a very icy ice cream. Um, and so that's, that's texture. Texture is the fineness between your tongue and the roof of your mouth. So it's like sandiness, fineness, grittiness, um, or smoothness um, in that sort of the fineness of the texture. And then body is that like bouncy. It's almost the elasticity of the ice cream. So if you, if you can take like a, a scooper and if you can roll it up into a ball and it sticks together, doesn't break apart, that's the body of the ice cream, kind of almost like the bounciness, chewiness of the ice cream. And those are a little bit more difficult because whatever you add to ice cream upsets the balance of your body, of the body and texture. And this is all true, too, if you're making ice cream at home. And so you, every flavor and every element of your flavor is going to change your balance. You've got to know how to um, rebalance it on the other side. If you add something that's like a lot of alcohol, for instance, you're going to make it very, very soft. So the body is going to, going to going to go um, be, be a lot softer um, because it doesn't um, it won't freeze at that low temperature and so anyway so everything you do you've got to be able to balance it on the other side um, or not add very much of it and that's all true at, at home or in a big ice cream kitchen and we learned some new vocabulary words I feel like in that video that I think it would be fun to share just so if you want to you want to you know throw some cool words out at a, at a ice cream parlor <laughs> So you like? Can you define for us what feathering and overrun and what were some of the other ones, Amanda? <laughs> Those are the two that jumped out at me. But any other great They're ice really cream cool. vocab, like make us sound smart. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. Feathering is just something that I came up with, and I like to see. So when I see, so um, one element of ice cream, you you all ice cream has air in it. Air is actually important. It's like whipped cream has air in it, and it makes it almost taste creamier than heavy cream, which doesn't have air in it. And obviously that seems odd, but it's true. And, you know, so ice cream is the same way. So, but if you put too much air in it, um, you know, it becomes fluffy and frothy and marshmallowy. So we have to have a little bit of air, but you don't want too much. And if you put too little air in it, then it's like, it, it'll be like scooping a brick, right? Or like a big chunk of ice. So feathering is actually an indication of how much can be an indication of how much air is in the ice cream. And I, I know what our feathering needs to look like. And so to me, it, it, it sort of shows if it's, um, if it's got the right amount or if it doesn't. There's a whole sorts of other things that can happen in manufacturing. Like when you make the ice cream, you put it in a pint. If you, if you pound the pint too much, if you're hand packing it, you can actually pound too much air out of it. So you make it too, it's almost, the ice cream can become soggy and you don't want that. Uh, almost like an overwet sponge. You know what I mean? So you want to be able to scoop it. And for me, the perfect scoop has a little of that feathering um, on it. And you have to watch the video to see what I'm talking about. Or uh, I'm trying to think of how it's almost like the striation that you see 
um, in the scoop. And I look for that as a, as a quality marker. Um, the other thing is that that to me shows that the ice cream is being scooped, scooped at the right temperature. Of course, you can scoop your ice cream at whatever temperature you want. That's the great thing about ice cream. You can do whatever you want with it. If you're a stirrer, if you like a cone, if you like a bowl, like do it. But for me, um, I want our ice cream. We, we make it for this moment where it's served and scooped pretty hard. And so you can tell that it's not been melted too much before you scooped it. If it still has some of that feathering on it, it's more of a almost drier looking ice cream scoop because it's, um, it's still pretty cold, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's easier to show. Um, and over, yeah, I love that. Um, I love that too. I like the yeah. the temperature you guys scoop at because then you get that whole experience. Like my husband is really, he's happy with a bowl of melted ice cream, but I want mine really cold. And so I can't go back to that. So he can kind of wait if he needs to, but I can't go back and, <laughs> and refreeze it. So I like the hard ice cream. Yeah. I'm the same. I like it. Um, I like that, um, that buttercream texture that you get when it's like just, and when it's, pretty solid and pretty hard. Um, and then yes, as you, especially if you eat it on a cone, well, it doesn't matter where you eat it. Same. You, you start out where it's, where it's, um, where it's very solid, very together. And then it sort of relaxes over time. Um, and so you kind of go on that journey with your ice cream and then flavor kind of comes out a little differently, um, when it's super cold versus when it's a little bit warmer as well. And so that's part of the fun to me. And so I like it to start out in um, in a scoop like that. And to me, that feathering is part of that indication of whether it's been scooped right or not to me. Overrun is, is in a way related because it's about air content and overrun is the amount of air in your ice cream. Um, the overrun is, is a little bit confusing because it's actually double the percentage of air. So if it's 100% overrun, it's 50% air. And 50% air is the most you can do in America. You can do, I think you can do 120% air in Australia. Uh, most places in the world, I think, are um, about, so all of this is federally uh, regulated. <laughs> There's federal standards. So if you want to call it ice cream, you can't put more than 50% air in it. But in overrun terms, for whatever reason, we say 100% overrun. It's more like it's kind of like markup, I guess, in business or something. That's fascinating. And at Jenny's, of course, we're, we are um, quite low overrun. I think we're actually only at like 30% overrun, which ends up being like 15% air, which is very low. Wow. I'm so curious to try the Australian like maxed out air ice cream and see I mean, <laughs> if it is still ice cream, like just see what a different experience it would be. It feels like maybe it almost becomes a different dessert. So yeah, you can like imagine something like a, like a whipped soft serve almost being that way a little more okay. than even like a, a regular ice cream. It'd be hard to scoop because I, I feel like once you, if you get to that much air, you can't, scoop it. It starts to fall apart. And in ice cream, we call that short. It's a lot like shortbread, actually. Like when, when you can break your shortbread, it kind of crumbles. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can get that with ice cream too. It's not, air isn't the only thing that makes it that, you know, if you dry, if it's too dry, like with cocoa or whatever, it can be that way also. But yeah, it's uh, interesting. We borrow all these terms from baking. <laughs> Sometimes we, there's a bunch of them. Well, let's talk about the actual making. We have a question from the Jam Lab, and she wants to know which ice cream base do you prefer, a cream base with or without eggs, and can you talk about the difference? Yes. I, um, I, I, as I mentioned before, I started years and years ago, two decades ago or more, with my creme brulee recipe, and I had worked really hard to get this creme brulee right with my favorite dessert, 
back then and I loved it. And, um, and that was a lot of eggs. And over time, even uh, before I started my first business, I just got rid of eggs altogether because I felt like they were too strong in the ice cream, um, uh, in flavor. For me, I wanted to work with, um, all sorts of different flavor and bring that forward. So I have never really used eggs as a rule, although sometimes I need them because I want that flavor and then I make a custard. But most of the time, um, my ice creams don't have eggs in it at all. And, and if it does, it's because I call it, I, I will actually call it a custard because I want that flavor, like a sabayon or a, um, um, eggnog, or we have one now that's, um, salty vanilla custard, which is our cream puff. Um, ice cream is delicious, really yummy. Um, in Yum. general, I don't use eggs. Eggs can, um, do a great job emulsifying ice cream, but they also leave a slight, um, detectable sort of protein grittiness um, in that sort of texture um, lane that I don't love. And so I've been able to figure out that if we treat milk proteins a certain way and we start with really fresh milk, that we can actually get the milk proteins to act a lot like the, um, the, the lecithin in egg yolks and so, or the protein in egg yolks. And so you can, you can get milk to act that way. You can get some of these proteins and even the fat to act, um, to, to, to hold on to water and to help emulsify. And so we've been able to do that, which is pretty fun, but it's all about the temperature of pasteurization and time and all of that stuff. So anyway, so I don't use eggs, but we've figured out how to do it without them. So if you're making ice cream at home and you're able to get your hands on raw milk, would you say it would make a really good ice cream or, uh, not so much a difference at home? It's not that much of a difference at home because you're going to, well, you're going to, it depends. I mean, you're going to cook your, your milk anyway in cream. I always think that, you know, milk straight from the dairy is going to be amazing. And I have, I do that often, have done that many, many times. I love it very much. Um, but because ice cream is a lot of times you're going to, you're going to end up adding a lot of other ingredients. Most of the time I would just say, just get some good milk. You'll love it. You know, when, if you're talking about cream, you're talking about something that's going to taste great. Um, right. but if you're going to make just like a fiorta latte or just like a very simple, you know, cream and milk ice cream with no other ingredients, which is one of my favorite things to do, then, then sure. I mean, make it all about the milk. If you can get not even just raw milk, cause you're, you're going to cook it anyway, but like, if you can get a very minimally processed milk, it'll be, a, it'll be great. Um, you know, yeah. In terms of flavor, it'll be awesome. I'm asking selfishly because my husband grew up on a dairy and when we go to visit, we get milks like straight from the cows. And I thought, I wonder if that would make a difference. So, okay. Well, good to good know. Because I mean, those <laughs> proteins um, really can, will, will engage. You'll notice they'll thicken the ice cream a little bit better in my recipe. If you follow my recipe, which you, you have, um, you kind of simmer the milk and sugar together and then it, it denaturizes the proteins and then um, they adhere to water a little bit. And, um, and that's like part of the process in my recipe, but not, well, both recipes, but, um, that's my home recipe for my book. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I'm always jealous of anybody who has access to, um, raw milk. It's very highly illegal in Ohio, unless you are actually <laughs> on the dairy and most places actually, yeah. and, um, that's to protect everybody, but it's great when you can be on the dairy and have access to it. Okay. So next question from Jenna underscore Samuel, how do you make ice cream at home without an ice cream maker? Oh gosh. Let's see. 
I have uh, used ice cream recipes and then frozen them in like a um, like a Ziploc kind of flat so that they they're sort of thin, and then break that up and put it in your food processor. If if you don't have an ice cream machine, I don't know if you're going to have a food processor, but you know what I mean. A lot of people have food processors, I, like because they use them in lots of places. But like you know, ice cream makers are um, a little less common. Um, Let's see. What else can you do? Uh, you can do the, and you can Google this, but you can do the like um, bag of ice and rock salt that, like a giant Ziploc that you put ice salt and um, ice and rock salt, and then you put a smaller bag of your ice cream mix in there. You shake it. It's okay. Like it doesn't. It's not terrible. And I've um, when I put for, my book first came out in 2011. Savoir Magazine did a, a whole bunch of things on it in the one issue, in their September issue, I think. And the last page, they tried every technique, including that technique, the sort of bag and bag, or you can sometimes do like a giant coffee can and a smaller coffee can and roll them around. And there's also like a soccer ball you can buy now that like, you know, you can kick around, and, you know. But um, they had good luck with those, with all of them, so with, with my recipe, so... You could try that. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to do at school too. What a fun experiment! Oh my gosh! Totally. Yeah. So um, at Bakey Bakes and Emily Q Sims, they don't have a question. They just want to thank you for your non-dairy ice creams. Oh my gosh, and they're so good too. I mean, I basically made a non-dairy ice cream that I like. So my, that was my goal. I was like, if I love this ice cream. And if I choose it over dairy ice cream as, as in love and passionate about dairy and, and um, dairy ice creams as I have been my entire life, if I can actually make something that I will naturally wake up and crave, then, then we win. Then, and I, and I just mean by win, I just mean like, yay, good for all of us, you know? Um, and so that was my goal. And uh, we just ended up um, I like to joke that there was no innovation required. It's not like we were trying to get like lactating yeast cells or, you know, um, pea proteins or whatever, whatever other things. People are trying to mimic milk is the problem. And you just really can't. Milk is just a weird thing. It's a different thing. But what's also really beautiful on earth is coconut milk and coconut cream, especially, and chocolate. And there are so many gorgeous plant ingredients. And so just seeing them for what they are was the most important thing. So bringing the, so sourcing the top quality coconut cream on earth, which took us about a year to do, was like all that mattered, right? So then we, once we found that, it was so gorgeous that we almost didn't want to do anything else to it. And when we did do something to it, it's like we found really beautiful chocolate and we put that in there. And I, um, I don't think I've ever, well, I'm positive. I've never in my entire life eaten an entire pint of ice cream in one sitting. I've never done that just because, um, I just wouldn't do that probably because I, uh, um, I just eat so much ice cream, but because these are so new to me and because I love them so much, I literally ate an entire pint of our coconut cream and cold brew coffee, uh, the other day. It was, it's fantastic. So what we're having now and what's exciting to me is that all of a sudden, all of our um, dairy eaters in the stores, a lot of them are starting to order the non-dairy ice creams. So that to me changes everything. When you say, you know, it's not just the, the vegan or lactose intolerant people coming in and then we're made something passable for them. But we actually have people who love dairy, who love these so much that they're opting for them instead of the dairy ice creams. That's huge. 
And so now the word is getting out in the lactose um, intolerant vegan community that these are ice cream flavors that are just absolutely gorgeous. It's kind of a new thing in ice cream. It's not meant to be sort of fake milk ice cream. It's just meant to be something brand new, and it's gorgeous. We love them so much. And actually, I'll be at the store later, and that's what I'm going to have. It's uh, really <laughs> lovely. I had the um, the dairy-free PB&J ice cream the other day because my son, I mean, kids, they just, they order whatever flavor sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. He's four years old, so he doesn't care. Dairy-free, not dairy-free. You could put anything in there. He just hears PB&J and thinks, that sounds good. So we tried that, and we didn't skip a beat. I mean, we were chowing down just like we would any other time. Super delicious, and it, it wasn't for dietary reasons. It was just because... We wanted that flavor. It was awesome. Yep. And we made sure that we made flavors uh, that we didn't make in dairy. So we're sort of almost forcing people who want those flavors to try them. And people are loving them. They're they're actually like um, several flavors now have gotten into our top 10, which is really hard to do. Um, that's, uh, it's almost impossible. If we have one flavor a year, new flavor a year that gets into our top 10, we, um, we're, we're floored. So it's a big it's a big deal in our company that these flavors are doing so well. So we have four or five of them in the store now, and I think we'll probably end up having that many permanently. That's awesome. Okay, so we have a question from Socha Millie, and she wants to know, or he wants to know, they want to know, uh, tips for replacing heavy cream for lactose-free ice cream other than coconut cream. Was there anything else that you found that worked as well or really well? I haven't yet, and that's not to say that um, that that we can't. I I haven't. I found that some of the nut creams and nut butters that use tons of different ones of those became very gritty, um, mm. and so I, like for me, uh, the best thing was uh, was coconut cream, and that's um, I, I understand that that's not great for some people. So we're still we're still looking into it. There are, there are different kinds of nuts, and I know um, you know macadamia nuts and cashews and um, you know, certain things, but that's, that's a tough one for me. Um, but we're still working on it as we go. We did a lot with almond last year and that worked out. We did an almond milk cortado, but we made the almond milk and that worked out really, really well. It was like, um, but it still had that little bit of grittiness in it. Sarah Frisbee would like to know, how do you make the most chocolatey ice cream possible? Wow. I mean, um, you start with a lot of, cho- you just put a lot of chocolate into it. <laughs> and, um, and that's the thing, you know, I think, um, you know, we get in, we can get into, you know, entrepreneurship and, um, art and business and all of the differences in that. And there's a lot, and it's all nuances, but, you know, I think a lot of companies want to make a chocolate ice cream that, um, will, convince you it's as chocolatey as they can go or whatever, you know? And we wanted to make the most chocolate ice cream that we absolutely could. And that was, that was our first versus like the, um, you know, put enough chocolate in it that people believe that it's very chocolatey and then not a drop more because it's expensive to do that. You know, it's the most expensive ingredient in the ice cream is the chocolate, you know? Um, so first you have to put a lot in there and anybody can do it. And then, and then if you want to do that at home in my book, um, I have a recipe for a dark chocolate ice cream, and uh, it, it can be scaled up or down. So you can actually put more. I mean, you make like a chocolate syrup, and you can actually put more of that chocolate syrup in all the way up. I mean, you could you could probably go half and half chocolate syrup to to um, the your ice cream base, and um, and still have just an incredible ice cream. So you can really even do that at home. 
We've got to try this, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Let's push the limits of chocolate. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. That's the best segue. So now shifting from making to flavors, which is still kind of about the making. Uh, we had a question for you. You mentioned before about how ice cream is an excellent carrier of scent. And could you explain, kind of elaborate on that, why it's such a great carrier of scent? Um, I, so butter fat, which is the fat that's in milk uh, and cream, um, melts b- two degrees below body temperature, but it's also solid at room temperature. Not every fat is like that. If you think of a good one to compare it to is cocoa butter. Cocoa butter at room temperature is pretty solid. And if you have, I mean, it's very brittle, actually. If you have a, um, a lip balm that has too much cocoa butter in it, you, it won't glide across your lips. You know what I mean? You've mm. probably all seen that. So as soon as it touches your body, it doesn't melt. Um, whereas butter fat, if you take even just butter, a, a stick of butter, or um, if you could cut a pad of butter just straight from the freezer even, put it in your palm of your hand, it will immediately start to relax on your on your hand. You'll, it'll immediately start to um, melt. So because it's an oil, it'll, it'll adhere to other oil-soluble flavors and scents, really scents, um, and m- many ingredients are oil-soluble scent or flavor, like coffee is one, chocolate is one, mint, and many others, um, even um, uh, like orange zest and uh, vanilla beans, cinnamon, all of those are, are, are oils that can adhere to that oil in the, in the fat. But then you kind of lock it in as it's frozen. And then because it's, it melts so quickly at your body temperature, even when it's frozen, um, you, you, as soon as it hits your tongue, the scent volatilizes into the air, right? And into your, into your olfactory, into your, you know, head. And uh, anyway, that's what makes ice cream such a fun and amazing um, thing. Just any ice cream, like not just my ice cream, but like any ice cream. If you watch that Epicurious video, I mean, that strawberry ice cream that I tasted there was wonderful. And it was, you know, a dollar a pint or something like that. Um, but it's all about scent, you know? Oh, yes. The, ba- the baking sensei says, oh, where do you get your inspirations for all your flavors? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's the part that's actually very easy. Um, um, you know, flavor is everywhere. And I always say that, but it's true. It's like right It's around you. So um, I, I tell people um, that I like to tell stories of like what's growing in the gardens around me. Um, so you can, you know, start with whatever is growing and then find that sort of inspiration of what it might pair with. You could start at a farmer's market. Um but I also love um, history and art, and I love to think about what kinds of flavors would, you know, if I'm looking at a painting, um, you know, I can, I can think about, like, well, what, what would that color be, or how does this make me feel, or where is this taking place, and can I think of a flavor that could go with that? Um, so it's really fun. Pop culture is super fun. Like, I mean, I love to, like, think about what, you know, if somebody, if I'm reading about somebody, or somebody loves something, or if there's a trend of something or whatever, then, like, we can... We can uh, do that. It's um, it's actually the the easiest. It's just, it's so easy. There's too many flavors to make. But the other um, very sort of fun aspect of what we do is listening to customers and listening to the people who come to our stores. And so when we put something out, listening to feedback about what they what people love, what people are responding to, and really actually trying to make ice creams that you know the. F- Six million people or so that'll go through our store this summer are going to love, like fall in love with. Some of them are unexpected. Some of them they literally, you know, inspired, and um, and other ones are more classic that might take you back in time. 
but all sorts of cool stuff. So that's, I don't know, it's sort of like a combination of things. And it's actually, we have way too many flavors that we can, uh, in our test kitchen that we can ever put out in one year. So while we're on interesting inspirations, you guys just dropped a flavor that I adore. And I, sometimes I love, there's a lot of things in baking actually that I really, really love to make. And I'm terrible at pronouncing the name. So I hope I say it right. But Noir Devoir. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, it's one of my favorites. And I would love for you to talk about the inspiration for that. I love that flavor too. And not many of us do. So I don't get the chance to make licorice or anise very often. Um, because, because it's a flavor that like, um, you know, I don't know, I wonder what the actual number is, but you know, one out of every thousand Americans likes, I think, or something, it's not very many of us. And, um, and, but, but, but we exist and people who love that licorice scent really love it. And, uh, and so I, um, I'm one of those people. I, I love it. And I grew to love it. I think actually traveling in Europe and where, you know, even like toothpaste is, is flavored with that licorice scent. So one year, um, let's see, I guess it was in 2016, 15, no, 20, 20, beginning of 2015, I um, wanted to make ice creams that were inspired by the Matisse cutout paintings, which were on display at MoMA. And I finally went to see them. I grew up with, you know, image of them, posters of those cutout paintings, like on my wall when I was a kid. And so getting to New York to see them in person was important to me. When I got there, even having grown up with these images in front of me all my life and books, um, I, I was very aware of it, Matisse and these images. Um, when I got there, the colors stopped me in my tracks. Um, the blue in particular, which is called ultramarine blue, and I had to learn more about, and literally as I'm going through, I'm like tasting these ice creams. I'm thinking like, these are, these are like ice creams. These are like this green tastes some, like, like something specific to me or this orange or this black or this blue or whatever. And so when I came back, I just started um, experimenting with, with what would those colors taste like. And then I learned um, that, they, that he was famous for using colors straight from the tube. He didn't mix them at all. So those gouache colors, he just used them straight, straight out of the tube, which is super cool. So Noir de Voir is a, is an ivory, is a black ivory. It's, it's a black, but it has like almost dustiness to it. And, um, and it's a straight from the tube. That's the, um, the French name of the color of gouache that he used. Um, the black that he loved to use. Um, but I also did Garance Verclair, which is green. Um, I did an orange, which I use the American term for. I think it's called Persian orange. Um, uh, we did a, a yellow that I now can't remember the name of it. But, um, but anyway, they were so much fun. But this one's a salty licorice with very dark chocolate, and that's chocolate by Askanosi, who's my favorite American chocolate maker, and um, just like sort of crumbled in there. And it's a really dark chocolate and slightly salty cream, but like the licorice scent is very soft and really, really um, sweet in scent, not in, in the, the sort of sugar. Um, and so anyway, it just all works together really, really well. And it's, I mean, it's literally my, uh, my favorite flavor. And Chef Ed Lee from um, Louisville is also a huge fan of that flavor. He um, ate an entire pint in my test kitchen when he was up visiting not long ago as we were preparing to launch this flavor. And um it's, it's, it's delicious. I love it. So I'm glad you like it too, because it's like you and me and Ed and a couple others. <laughs> it's like a, a special club. I'm, and, and anybody who's like hesitant to try anything with that anise or licorice type flavor, it is so delicate and it plays so nicely with the other flavors that I feel like so many people are really familiar with chocolate and the slight saltiness. It's just, it's a great 
I mean, my kids loved it. I always share, we always taste each other's bites. You know, if we, if we all get different flavors and it wasn't anything too intense for them. So if you feel a little adventurous, maybe give it a try. Well, that's (laughs) the great thing about our shops too, is that when you come in, even if you know, you're going to end up with one of our, I mean, right now we have a chocolate blackout cake or we have Texas sheet cake and non-dairy that are just, just blowing every, like, blowing up. I mean, they're like our version of going viral. Like everybody's going crazy for them. So even if you know you're going to go in and get those or the strawberry buttermilk, which is just launching, you know, now this is the season for that flavor. You can still taste all of these other ones. And that's just a part of it so that you have, you know, you have something to talk about when you go sit down, you're eating your chocolate. You can, you can have a conversation. Would you think about that licorice? Like I might even order it again next time. Or, you know, it's a lot of times when you first taste something, it, you have to sit with it for a while. And then like two days later, you start craving it. And that's when you know, like, okay, you got to go back for it. You guys are killing me. I need to try it. I need to get my hands on some. So good. <laughs> uh, okay. So Jet as Lion, I think that's how you would say that, it wants to know where do you get all those lovely bramble berries from? <laughs> well, it's funny because bramble berries are just what my grandmother used to call the berries. We had, when I was a kid, we had 10 acres of forest land. And we would go out there. We had honeybees. We tapped the maple trees. Every year made our own maple syrup. We had 12 gardens at least. And then all the wild stuff that grew out there from mushrooms to berries and um, all sorts of stuff. And so we would always collect the braille berries. And she would just call any berry that grew on a like a thorny sort of tangled bush um, a brambleberry because it grows in the brambles. So everything from raspberries to blackberries to black raspberries um, – and, and you can get wild currants if you're lucky. You might find them. Um, they're illegal, actually, in Ohio. They were just made legal again to grow in New York State. But because back during the time when the white pine was, was being forested or whatever, and, like, it was in high demand, um, and they needed those trees, the, the, the current had, like, a parasite on it. This is, like, too much information, but it was kind of interesting um, that, like, killed the white pine trees. So they made it illegal to grow those. So you can't grow them here. Uh, but anyway, that's another one that you can sometimes still find wild. Uh, but anyway, those are those brambleberries. But right now we get raspberries, black raspberries and blueberries, which aren't really brambleberry. We don't use it in our brambleberry crisp from um, our partner, Steve, uh, Steve and Mike, their brothers um, on Hirsch fruit farm about an hour away from here. So they're, they're awesome. They have a whole bunch of rows of blackberries they grow for us and black raspberries which are, I mean, it's so much fun to go down there. And, what, you know, black raspberries are ripe when they, like, fall off the vine. So you know they're ripe when you don't have to pull them. And it's so hard not to just eat all the ripe ones, <laughs> you know, to, like, put them in a basket, you know. That's uh, a lot of self-control. They're so sweet and so yummy. All right. Next question from Dessert Drunk is: Is there a science behind mixing sauces, chunks, etc., in ice cream, or can you really just add anything? There is a bit of a science to it. I mean, there is a lot. But yes, there are people who literally study this um, as a science. I mean, ice cream, speaking of science, is the most studied emulsion on the planet. It's an emulsion, a frozen emulsion, and so. Um, you know, naturally, because it's um, it's, a, it's a profitable industry, it's supported by this industry. You know, so we have people trying to study, like, how to get it better, how to make it so that it transports better and so on. And also people who study what's the best way to put a cookie in ice cream and make sure that it's still, you know, soft enough um, or doesn't get completely um, crumbled up and, and disappear. 
And the same is true for sauces. Like if you see a sauce in ice cream, um, if it's got too much sugar, if it doesn't have enough cert, you know, starch or certain ingredients, it can literally just dissipate into the ice cream. And so there's absolutely a science behind it. There are people who do this for a living, if you can believe that. Tell your kids, because it sounds like something super fun to study in school, and then you can just be like an ice cream and sauce, you know, scientist. But um, for me, um, in my books, I actually make um, ingredients. In the back of my book, there's, some, there's like a, an index of recipes that I use of things that I put in ice cream, and those work really well, and they took me a little while to develop. But I make baked goods almost always so that it can go with or in ice cream. And so sometimes it may mean just something simple, like it has a little more sugar so that it's softer when it's frozen, or it's a little bit underbaked so that it's softer when it's frozen or, or chewier when it's frozen or whatever it is that I'm trying to do. But, you know, experiment a lot of times things like that would be the worst, you know, are like gummy bears. I mean, those, those, that kind of texture, jelly beans, gummy bears, they just get really, really, really chewy. But if you go, to like toffee and hard candies, you can create like little pockets of sauce and and some crunch um, in your ice cream. You really can use things just off off the shelf, and um, especially if you're making it at home and it doesn't have to like go into a logistics system, you know. And um, and you know you can experiment to see what works and uh, what you like, and it's part of the fun as well. Southern Fatty, one of our dear oh, friends, mine too. he's Hello. asking. Oh, yay. He's, he's asking for a friend, wink. When will we see boozy Jenny's options at the location? That's funny. Well, we um, we actually do quite a few um, boozy flavors every year. We definitely have our whiskey and pecans, and our whiskey is distilled for us by our friends at Midwest Spirits, um, who are just literally down the street from where I'm sitting right now. They're just an internationally award-winning um, vodka and whiskey company. They do a bourbon. It's fantastic. But anyway... So they make us a special one that's got, like, less alcohol in it so that we can actually add more. Um, so you get a lot of that booziness um, from there. But we, we do stay under the federal threshold. Um, we don't have a liquor license in any of our stores. That would be super fun. But, um, but, we, but we don't. So we stay under the legal limit of um, what we can do. But we have ways of doing that where we can still, we can still like, like, our partnership with these guys. Um, and it's um, a lot of fun. I, I will also say that I love putting booze on ice cream. I mean, just putting bourbon um, just on a dark chocolate ice cream is so incredible. Um, and, and pairing it with different kinds of wines or dessert wines or, like, one of my favorites is Vinsanto, or you can get the, like, sort of less expensive cousin of Vinsanto, which is called Il Santo. And, um, and I, I sometimes will heat that with, like, um, just one like star anise just in like a crock pot and uh, maybe some honey and then serve that over salty caramel ice cream. It's incredible. So delicious. So I like to, you know, or, you know, of course like champagne and ice cream is like one of the best things or beer because it has bubbles. So if you're ever having an ice cream party, you can definitely have a boozy ice cream party pretty easily. Oh gosh, that's like a, that's a good idea. <laughs> I've had a Guinness float or two yeah. uh, in my lifetime. Yeah. Oh, so don't good. even get me started on milkshakes. I mean, it's like, um, yeah, you can make a pretty boozy milkshake very quickly. You know, for like 4,000 <laughs> 4, calories. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Whatever. This is, this is why I don't have yeah. these. Yes. My food for the day. Okay, I love this next question from EVH93. If you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? And they say they got this question on a job interview once. What a fun question. I love oh, that. Oh, my right. gosh. Well, I think that I would actually be probably a noir de voir, right? I mean, it's sort of, um, 
in some ways, noir de voir is classic, and I feel like I love history so much, and I like time travel so much, and I just, like, I, I read so that I can get good at, at, at like, almost, like, um, time traveling, a bit, like, projecting myself back into the past and imagining and feeling what it would feel like back then. And noir de voir is just such a historic flavor. I mean, licorice is probably, I would be willing to bet it was on the um, the ice cream list of the first ice cream shop in America, which was opened in 1790 in New York. It was a flavor that was pretty common throughout history. Um, but also it's kind of cool and different and a little bit forward thinking when you think about ice cream um, uh, with that sort of salty licorice and then um, and the way it's made with our sort of direct trade, um, gorgeous Askinosi chocolate. So I, if I, that would be the flavor I would want to say that I was. I mean, I'm not sure that I, anybody else would agree with me on that one. Maybe it's more like salty caramel, you know, maybe they would call me salty. I don't know. <laughs> you get to choose exactly who you are. <laughs> yes, so exactly. that's, that's who you are. <laughs> yes, well, I'm lucky. I get to spend my days in ice cream. I mean, I, I, I remember when I was in high school and like, everybody was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. And of course, like that's what parents pressure their kids to become. And I remember I didn't have parents pressuring me to become those things. So I just became an ice cream maker. And I think like, while I was working for those, you know, decade, you know, decade and a half or so, you know, trying to get my career off the ground and all these people became very successful around me. And I thought, well, you know, they worked really, really hard and they had to take the SATs and I refused to do that and, you know, all sorts of, and I'm like, yeah, but I like kind of won in so many ways. Like I get to spend my days, you know, just being kind to others and like listening to their stories and telling their stories through ice cream and like eating ice cream and like loving people all day long. And it's like, that's what it's about. It's just, I mean, I, I just, I feel so like the luckiest person alive. I mean, not that I didn't work for it, but um, it's an incredible thing to be. It's awesome. It, it, oh, sorry, Jeremiah. It just popped in my head. I'm curious. Do you eat ice cream every day? At least a little nibble. I do every single day. And um, of course, if I'm, you know, every once in a while I'll be traveling and I'm not, I don't actually end up in an ice cream shop. Um, but I really, I really do actually eat ice cream every single day. And often, um, and often again, um, but I'm very, uh, balanced in how I do things. And so I don't usually drink calories at all. I don't drink actually very much, um, alcohol. I don't drink any cream in my coffee. Um, I will often have, um, something like just a whole head of cauliflower for dinner because I, which I love anyway. Um, but I, but I get really balanced about things because I understand that like, <laughs> that's, I have to think of myself like an athlete, <laughs> a nice cream eating athlete. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're in the, the rich, sweet side of the food world, you have to be constantly thinking about how to balance your life or it will run away yes. from you. Yeah. And I've had that happen. So I, I just, yeah, I just try to stay balanced about things and, um, and it works out great and I love it. And I honestly can say that I'm looking forward to going to my shop. I'm leaving um, right after this to go down to the shop, and I'm really looking forward to having ice cream today. And I have never gotten sick of ice cream. You know, you hear it all the time from people uh, who do bakery or or whatever. And um, or I even actually my first job was an ice cream shop, and I remember the owner is just like, I cannot touch ice cream. I'm just so sick of it. And that was when they were like six months old. When <laughs> the store was like six months oh, old, wow. and I was thinking like. Huh. And that was my first job when I was 15 and I'm still in ice cream now at 45. So I don't know why it's just, I just think that it's because I love it so much and we change all the time and we're always looking for new things and still so challenged by it. 
Well, let's talk about cones, because that's another important part about the experience, if you choose to have one. Tell us about your ideal ice cream cone and any tips for making that at home. Well, I, first of all, definitely think you should eat it on a cone. I mean, obviously, I, I think you should eat ice cream however you want to eat ice cream. But I do think that that sometimes we need a little nudge, because cones make you a little bit vulnerable. Um, you know, you have to, like, lick the cone. It starts to melt. And if you're with somebody that you don't know very well, it starts to feel a little bit like you're going to get out of control and all of that. So I think sometimes grown-ups need a little nudge. That's the other thing about it. Sometimes it makes you feel like a kid and you're not as in control. So I like to nudge people to eat a cup, to try it on a cone again. You can always get a cup for the, to put on the side. Our ice creams are really made to melt when they hit your tongue. And, um, and so just sweeping off the perfect amount on your tongue is like the best way to eat ice cream. In my opinion, that's what, at least what I, what I make it, how I make it for that experience. Um, so try it on a cone. We, at our so- shops, we have really beautiful sugar cones. They're made for us by a family in Ohio. And if you know anything about the ice cream cone business in the world or in uh, America anyway, there's only like one other ice cream company or ice cream cone company. And they're very hard, very sort of cardboard-like. But this company makes us these gorgeous little ice cream cones, and um, and they're kind of flaky. They're a little more like the European ones. So you can't go wrong getting a sugar cone in our shop. Um, one of my favorite cones is the wafer cone, the flat bottom, um, you know, just uh, just wafer cone. I love them so much. I think of those almost like a toasted rice or rice paper. Um, so anything you might pair with that, if I, if we ever did like a green tea ice cream, that'd be really beautiful. But some of the like yogurts or buttermilk ice creams, I love to put on that wafer cone or even a chocolate, um, because they remind me of those little, you know, those little cookies that are like wafer layered wafer cookies. But, um, it reminds me of that. So when you start to think of them like that, you, you start to think, Oh, I could pair that with strawberry and it would do that or, um, Whatever. And then we make a really special cone called our buttercrisp cone, which is a, a recipe inspired by my book recipe, which you can make at home. And it's the best cone recipe out there. It's just absolutely beautiful. You can buy a cone maker for like 15 bucks. Sometimes you can find them on sale um, or a Pizzelle maker and have it have beautiful patterns. But those are great things to make like right before you have people over at your house because it smells so good. And it's why our stores smell so good. So we make this buttercrisp cone. And it's like the perfect backdrop for almost any flavor you could imagine in our shop. And they're not huge. We don't make massive um, waffle cones. We make them more sort of just a little bit bigger than a regular cone so that you can have this sort of fresh um, butter crisp waffle cone experience. And those are all really, really good. But you can't go wrong um, at all. And then if you want in our stores, we also make the butter crisp into a dish in case you um, in case you just need to have your control, which I completely understand. The other fun thing about cones, though, if you make them at home, and actually, my recipe is really, actually really good. So you can go to the library and take a picture of it if you want to, but it really is a great recipe. You can make it into a, um, a fortune cookie uh, really easily. And so sometimes we do that at our stores. We call them convo cookies, and we just ask a question. So if you're on a date, you can get one. But, um, but they're fun for parties and things like that, too. Just super fun if you, could, um, you can make questions and um, have people answer them. But cones are beautiful, <laughs> and they're, they're a great backdrop for ice cream course. I love that. Jeremiah, are you a cone person? Do you get cone? I don't, but I'm really inspired now. I mean, I do like them. I think I've just gotten kind of lazy too. Like I'll I'll just give me the spoon and the cup, 
but I'm so inspired now. I, I don't think I'm going to go back. I'm just going to do well, cones now. I feel like you were talking like <laughs> specifically to me because I'm terrified of cones. They really stress me out. <laughs> and that nudge, I'm going, okay, I have like the official word on the subject. Jenny's herself is nudging me to get it in a cone. I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I must do this. We're well, doing yeah. The other great thing yeah. about nice with cone versus a dish is that a cone will force you into the moment. Like you can't not be here with this cone right now because you're going to lose track of it, right? Whereas a dish, you can put it down and pick it up. And even if the ice cream's melted, it's fine. So, so I, that's the other thing that I love about cones is just having that in my hand, knowing that, um, that, that, that it's bringing me into the moment and I am uh, squarely there with my um, friends and, whoever I'm trying to be there with, you know, ice cream meditation. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. So our flower hour question for you is if you could bake or make ice cream for anyone dead or alive, who would you bake or make ice cream for? And what would you make them? Oh my goodness. There are so many amazing people throughout history that I would love to go back and meet and hang out with, especially like over an ice cream cone where you're like in the moment with them. And um, two people that I absolutely love reading about are Sarah and Gerald Murphy. Um, They were around in the twenties. They were married and they started, they moved, they basically started the Riviera in the 1920s. They moved to the South of France, um, bought a house, uh, which they called the Villa Americana. And then in that home, the, the Fitzgeralds stayed there. The Hemingways were there. Cole Porter was there. Um, Picasso was there all the time. And it was just this incredible um, place to be. And, boy, I would just give about anything to go back there and make some ice cream for those parties. That's for sure. What oh, about gosh. the flavor? Any flavors that you would go to? I'm just well, dying. Well, Sarah Murphy is from... She was from Cincinnati, and she was famous for growing. She would grow her own gardens, almost like she had a farm over there, actually, in the south of France. She had a cow, and, like, she grew corn. Um, and one of her things that she did was she would make, like, creamed corn, almost like they do polenta, and then she would serve it with a poached egg. And it's similar to a dish that's, that they serve over there, but she would do it more, like, in the way that they would have it back home. So I actually might. And I have been inspired by that because it's a dish that I make a lot when I have people over now. But um, I might be inspired to make our sweet corn with blackberries or black raspberries. The other thing is that Zelda Fitzgerald loves blackberries. She's actually quite a picky eater. Um, but I could probably probably get her to taste the sweet corn ice cream. I don't know. Probably I would make it with, uh, with blackberries and, and sweet corn. Oh, my gosh. That Yum. sounds so good. Yes. So good. Yeah. Um, oh, so I just wow. take like 20 Our people. imaginations are whirling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you know the right one person, you get to all the others, right? <laughs> That's smart. That's a good strategy. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you guys so much. So much fun. Now I'm dying to go get some ice cream. So Me too. Me you too. Fun the craving on us. <laughs> thank you, Jenny. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.